1: Greetings, Saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible study. And Father, if you don't join us, this will be no good because we can do nothing without you. So thank you, Father, for what you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to continue with We Need to Check Ourselves, number four. And we're going to start out with the blessings of humility. Uh, Missy Pollock said said, uh, that this is a quote from David's book, The Blessings of Humility, at the very end of chapter 3. And I thought it was such a good ending to the chapter because it greatly blessed me. Okay, so she sent this in. Jesus sought a simple life. He sought not to have and do the things that men thought were great. Uh, He didn't mind speaking truth, even if it offended the high and the mighty. He didn't mind leaving the multitudes behind in order to go seek fellowship with the Father, like in Matthew 14 and 13, Luke 42, etc. So we, of course, need to emulate Jesus. He is our um, very clear uh, demonstration of godliness. So Jesus had such a desire to meet the needs of the people that in some cases he was working night and day. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew eight and twenty, The foxes have holes and the birds of heaven have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He didn't have any time for himself. And I believe that God has some servants down here who are doing the same thing. They see the need, they're moved with compassion, they go to meet the need, but not for the glory of man. Jesus wasn't doing it for the glory of man because he didn't mind leaving the multitudes and going up into the mountains to pray. Even though he saw this great need, this was important, too, that he had the support of God, right? He's our example. And as the Bible tells us in 1 John uh, 2 and 5, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily hath the love of God been perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Well, amen to that. And uh, Debbie Finsky gave this in on 119.24, this word, and we called it, You Just Need Me. Yesterday, I decided to look for some very quiet worship music that I thought I'd have playing while having my quiet time with Jesus. I found what I really liked and started to play it. And then as I began to sit with Jesus, I heard him very quietly tell me something. He said, you don't need sound. I said, that's really good, Lord. And then he continued to quietly say more to me. I turned off the quiet music and listened. And this is what he said. You don't need sound. You just need me. Listen for my voice. You don't need a plan. You just need me, desire me, desire to seek me with your whole heart, soul, and mind and strength. You don't need a feeling. You just need me. I will give you my peace. You don't need routine. You just need me. I will lead you and I will guide you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have not made it a hard thing to come before you, to get alone with you. Lord, please help us to kick aside all these preconceived ideas that say we need so much more. Please, Lord, uh, help us to desire just you and to cast down the need for sound around us and to cast down any inner thoughts and feelings uh, and our plans. Help us to just drop all these things and just desire to sit with you, to desire only you. Now, we're not uh, cutting out all the ladies that have children running around, and that's a responsibility, too. I mean, that's that's a wonderful thing. So we're not despairing this at all. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our peace, and that in that peace you will lead us and guide us. And you will speak to us and let us know whether you whether to open your word to begin receiving from you there or to just sit and wait on you. And what uh, you can do with us in our time alone with you, Lord, is limitless. Thank you, Jesus. We just need you. Thank you that you just want us alone. And thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, now here, this was given to us by Winnie Asageda Dying to Self. She said, I read this and enjoyed it and wanted to share it with you all and thank you lord for your grace and for completing the work you started in us when you are forgotten or neglected or purposely set at naught and you don't sting and hurt with the insult of the oversight but your heart is still happy being counted worthy to suffer for christ that is dying to self when you're good is evil spoken of, and when your wishes are crossed, and your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, your best intentions misinterpreted, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but rather take it all in patiently, loving silence, knowing that Christ alone is your defender, that is dying to self." And when you patiently bear annoyance, disorder, inconvenience, irregularity, and even impunctuality from others, when you feel your time has been wasted and you've been treated harshly and unfairly, and yet you still respond in love, maintaining your peace and enduring these things with meekness as Jesus endured, that is dying to self." And when you are unruffled with uh, less-than-desirable accommodations, uncomplaining with meager food, difficult climates, rearranged uh, travel schedules, and when you maintain cheerfulness even though others are grumpy, and when you are loving and kind, attentive even to those who can do you no benefit by their association, When you remain calm despite interruptions to your agendas and plans by the will of God, that is dying to self. And when you don't care to refer to yourself in conversation, and when you don't feel the need to boast of your accomplishments and record every good deed you do for the world to see, when you don't itch after commendation and applause, and when you don't mind when others are acknowledged and your name is ignored, and when you're more concerned with being faithful to God's call when you are okay to be unknown, that is dying to self. And when you see your brother prospering, when you you see him succeeding with the project that you contributed to, and yet you can honestly rejoice with him in spirit, being happy to remain behind the scenes, uh, not questioning God, but being grateful that the work is being accomplished so that God is glorified. That is dying to self. And when you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself, and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Philippians 3 and 10. And I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2 and 20. Okay, this is, uh, we called Idols in the Heart. Anonymous 12, 10, 22. I sought the Lord regarding idols in our heart, and I heard. Be aware of idols of insecurity and selfishness, You need to reshape and rethink on how you perceive life in Christ. Well, my thought is we are accounted righteous when we believe uh, we don't live anymore, that Christ lives in us. And Romans 6.11 says, Even so, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Consider it done. Believe you have received, right? And Colossians three, three and four, for you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when the Christ, our life, shall be manifested—that means in us—then shall you also with Him be manifested in glory. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gives Ephesians four, twenty-two through twenty-four, that you put away as concerning your former behavior the old man that waxeth corrupt after the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Quote, Insecurity is where you want or require something that when put to the test of eternity with me, would be thrown out into the fire. I supply all your needs and desires of your heart. Continue to replace and put me always first, and keep a watch to the things that could be contrary to my word. Unquote. First Peter 5, 7 Casting all your anxiety upon him, because he careth for you. And Philippians 4 and 6 in nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Philippians 4, 19, And my God shall supply your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And Psalm 37, 4 and 5, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Quote, Selfishness is where there is pride and misunderstanding, especially when what has been taught and learned through the world's ways comes between us. Yeah, what come to me here is Mark 7 and 13 making void the word of God by your tradition, which you have delivered. That's what happens. It comes between us. So we need to put God's word high above all else, right? Philippians 2, 4 and 5. Not looking each severally to his own things, but each severally also to those of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The renewing of your mind is the best place to begin, to be cleansed and sanctified. After these things are put into check and aligned back according to my Son and my Word, you can receive and manifest a hundredfold. Romans 12 and 2. And be not fashioned according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and well-pleasing and perfect will of God. Quote, like when a bath is filled with water, you get in and the water rises. And when you get out, you can fill up all the way. It is the objects of no value within that are to be removed to enable more room to be filled with me. True. As the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day, right? Aim and focus on the hardest and most hidden of evil. This is self. Learn to hate the concept and mindset of being an individual. Instead, you need to incorporate my son as he is the perfect replacement. To get past all of self, and anything that is carnal and fleshly you need to find and root them out. Keep an eye and an ear on the self. Watch out for outward evil manifestations and bring it to the light for full exposure. Ephesians 5 and 8 For ye were once darkness, but are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians five eleven through 13 And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove them. For the things done by them in secret is a shame even to speak of. But all things, when reproved, are manifested by the light, for everything manifested is light. Quote, Speak it out. And pray it out, and know that it is a process for it all to go. Believe that you are at the end from your current state, and are already perfected in Christ. It is just the flesh and soul with understanding that needs to catch up." Colossians 1 and 27 to whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Okay, now I'm going to share with you on humility brings grace. If there's anything you need from God, humble yourself and confess your sins. As the Bible says in Psalm 66 and 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Many people are diligently attempting to exercise their faith, and yet they find no grace from God to hold on to their faith. Faith is a gift from God. If He doesn't give it to you, you won't have it. And you can try your best to stand in faith And you'll fail, because the Word says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He will not hear. Well, what choice do we have then? Well, God's telling us that He's not going to hear unless we repent. Proverbs 28 and 13, He that covereth his transgressions shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall obtain mercy. So we just read that unless we humble ourselves concerning any sin, we're not going to receive grace. And here we see that unless we confess our sins, we're not going to prosper or have His mercy. Therefore, other things besides lack of faith can block us from receiving the blessings of God. God is very forgiving to us because many times we don't know that we're doing wrong, and so God overlooks them. He puts them under the blood because of our ignorance. Uh, James 4 and 17 says, To him therefore that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. But if God is showing you something required of him in your life, then you're responsible to make Corrections because it may block you from receiving what you need from the Lord. A lot of times that's unforgiveness. I'll just throw that in there. In this case, uh, we can see that we have to confess our sins in order to receive our healing. Some may say that's salvation by works. Well, you can take it for whatever you believe it is, but the Bible says, Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And that's what we have to do and believe and act on. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty, that is goba, meaning lofty, high, height, pride, right? And a haughty spirit before a fall. The Hebrew kishan kishanshalon, There is also translated as stumbling or ruin, this word fall, okay? That doesn't sound like somebody is receiving what they want from the Lord. Destruction is not what we pray and believe for. It's not according to the good promises. And possibly you've heard uh, people say, you Christians, you accept all the good promises, but you don't like any of the bad promises, (laughs) Some people don't consider those promises. Well, here's one of them right here. Pride goeth before destruction. That's a promise. (laughs) So it behooves us to find out what pride actually is and how many ways it can be manifested in our life. That's another reason why we need to read the Scriptures because there can be things in our life that block us from receiving grace that imparts faith from God To bring us salvation. Certainly, we don't pray to fall into destruction and ruin or these kinds of things, but we pray for God's blessings. But Jesus said in Matthew 12 and 30, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. So if you're prideful, which is the opposite of humility, you're going to be destroyed. And if you're haughty, which is being self-promoting, you're at the very least going to stumble and possibly be ruined. All that is chastening upon the wicked, unregenerate old man who is prideful and has to be crucified. He's the one you're supposed to be leaving on the cross, right? Proverbs 16 and 19, Better it is to be of a lowly spirit with the poor, and to divide the spoil with the proud. Amen. Recently, I was giving some advice to a person who was forsaking, running after the Lord with all their heart in order to get a higher education. (laughs) I asked them, are you sure that's what the Lord really wants for you? You know, we're coming very, very close to the end times now, and what is more important? Is it to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is what we're commanded to do, or is it to get a higher education so that you can earn a higher income? I tell you the most important thing is to humble yourself to the Word of God now and forever that higher education doesn't matter in the least. Personally, I'd rather be stupid and humble and get what God gives me in His Word. Obviously, some of you may be contrary to my thinking here, but I would rather be of lowly spirit with the poor and not worry about the higher education. I don't know how many people come out of their so called higher education antichrist in their thinking. It's a multitude. They've lost God in the midst of it because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You're letting unregenerate people teach you what the way things ought to be, right? And you have to answer the way they answer or you don't get a good grade, right, in higher education. And also we have in Proverbs 15 and 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor goeth humility. There it is again. Before honor must be humility. Do you want to be honored of the Lord or of men? Humility has come first before we can have the blessings of God. Uh, Those great promises that we believe for. And in Proverbs 22 and 4, we're told, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. There you go. So what is going to really cause you to be promoted the best, of course, is the word of God in your mind, not the higher education. So how many people have lost their lives, spiritual or physical or both, because they didn't humble themselves to God's word? Matthew 6 and 33, But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we need to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. His word needs to be put in our heart every day, The most important thing that we do over and above and including going to church is humbling ourselves to the Word of God. It is the life of God. So many are caught up in and puffed up by false doctrines of false religion and they're in idolatrous worship of false leaders and are being led astray from the faith. Humility and the fear of the Lord go hand in hand. And if you're humble, you fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you're humble. And this goes before riches and honor and life, according to the Word of God. If you want to manifest not just more of physical life, but more of the life of Jesus, one of the ways to receive that is through humility. Many people pass away because they don't humble themselves to the Word. They haven't read the Word enough and don't believe the Word enough to find out that God already provided deliverance from the curses that have fallen upon mankind. Glory to God. It's a wonderful thing to walk in that faith and to see that God keeps His Word. And what what do we have to be proud of anyway? What do we have that we can claim is on account of our righteousness or our power or our wisdom? Uh, What do we have? As we're told in 1 Corinthians one twenty-six, For behold, your calling, brethren, not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So in other words, the people who are great in this world Are not the kind of people the Lord calls, generally speaking. And he says, not many, meaning he doesn't call some of them. Or he does call some of them. Okay. He likes to give a demonstration of his power because he's able to save even these people by humbling them. Yeah. Even Paul was humbled. But generally, he does not choose the wise, the mighty, and the noble. 1 Corinthians 1 and 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world. And the word things here was added in all through this text. But it's not found in the original Greek manuscripts. And so it should be italicized uh, in your Bible. There's no numeric pattern in the word things here. So when you read it this way, you're reading it properly. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For behold your calling, brethren, that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God chose the foolish, not things, the foolish of the world that he might put to shame them that are wise. And God chose the weak of the world, that he might put to shame them that are strong. And the base of the world and the despised did God choose. Yea, and the things that are not, that he might bring to naught the things that are. I'm not sure, but I think things could be in there on that one. So, God uh, chooses people. Who are foolish, weak, base, and despised by the world? Why? <laughs> so that there, so that no flesh should glory before God. Verse twenty-nine. And uh, glory there is the Greek, uh, Zachamea, meaning, I boast, I exalt, proudly. It's important to God that no flesh. Should glory before him. The people that God chooses are not the wise or the great or the gifted or the necessarily handsome. And although many times the people who are promoted to the top of Christianity are just like that, they're not found to be faithful or really gifted in the Spirit of God. It seems like a person has to be weak in the ways of the world before they will really have trust in God and lean upon Him. I'm one of those people. For instance, I never considered myself a speaker, Uh, never liked to get up in front of people, and don't relish it today. But I do it, and I'm able to do it by the grace of God. Not that my speech is all that great today, but, you know, Paul, uh, he was on my side because he said that he wasn't a great speaker either. So uh, Moses, too, by the way, you know, he complained to God about that, but God chose these people who were weak, right? At any rate, when we're made capable of doing something only by God, we have to trust Him because we know we have no strength within ourselves to do it. You could ask, why does God pick people that are weak? Well, He says so. Um, and it's so that no flesh should glory before God, quote unquote. And also in Second Corinthians 12 and 9, And He has said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, uh, of course, only God gets the glory that way. Now, get this important second principle here. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see that? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, a lot of people want power, okay? But they don't know how to get it. A person who seeks importance because of self-confidence is not qualified. Where is Superman now? Do you remember the Supermans? What happened to them? Hmm, okay, okay. So, what has happened to the superstars? Hmm, yeah, right. Uh, where's corruption all come in here, you know? Where are all the factious leaders who thought they should have a position of authority that God did not give them? Hmm? Carpenters know that the head that sticks up gets hammered. And here's why Matthew 23 and 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be humbled. And whosoever shall humble himself shall be exalted. So he doesn't want any pride in us. He doesn't want us taking any credit for what he chooses to do through us weak vessels. He wants us to give all the glory to him. Isaiah 42 and 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise unto graven images. So God will not share his glory with another. And when you try to rob the glory of God because of your own personal gifts, then God has to humble you because you're lifting yourself up. Pride goeth before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus could do nothing of himself. It's hard to even imagine it. Yet Jesus said in John 5 and 19, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father doing. For what things soever he doeth, these the Son also doeth in like manner. Now, obviously, if Jesus could do nothing of himself, we can do nothing of ourselves nothing of any importance in the kingdom, nothing of any eternal value in the kingdom um, can we do of ourselves because self has no power to do the work of God. Self cannot walk in the Spirit. Self does not have the renewed mind of Christ with the renewed sight and hearing as in Ephesians 4 and 23. Um, Having been washed with the water of the Word, Ephesians 5 and 26, self has no power to walk in the Spirit or to do the works of God. Therefore, we need God, and His power is made perfect in our weakness. He's not worried about how weak you are, right? He he, uh, uses that. So, um, we call this question yourself, and it was anonymous twelve three twenty two I was in prayer, and I asked the Lord what He wants to tell me Quote, a question to self: am I doing what I know to do Unquote. the n e n t says james one and twenty three for if any is hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror quote, am I on the right side living by faith in the word, Unquote. In other words, righteous by faith, abiding in Christ, uh, N-E-N-T, Romans 1 and 17, for herein is being revealed God's righteousness from faith unto faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Amen. In 1 John 2, 5 and 6, but whoso keepeth his word in him hath truly the love of God been perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. Who saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked Quote, Be on the perfect team and you will never fail or lose. Believe you are not any more, but Christ lives in you. Unquote. Romans six eleven. Thus you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Quote, this is an excellent choice, as the self part of you is really the loser, and there is nothing you can do that is better than I. Unquote. Job thirty eight and thirty three Knowest thou the ordinances of the heavens? Cast thou canst thou establish the dominion thereof in the earth? Mm-hmm. Job forty two and two, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be restrained. Amen Quote, Admit it before men unquote. N-E-N-T, Matthew 10 and 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess in me before men, in him will I also confess before my Father who is in the heavens. And 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Quote, Humble yourself and come to me, So being humble allows the Lord to utilize us as vessels of honor. That's so true. Numbers 12 and 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. Why would God pick somebody like that, right? (laughs) Again, his power is made perfect in weakness. N-E-N-T, N uh, T First Peter 5 and 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in season. Quote, The more frequent you let go of self and imitate my word as Christ, then infinitely more my love will manifest through you, unquote. In other words, we will progress from star to moon to sun glory, manifest in Christ with a hundredfold fruit, he says. And he also gives NENT, 1 Corinthians 15 and 41, one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for the star differeth from star in glory. That's true. Quote, I washed you in the water of my word to clean out all the lies. You can then have a clear mind which can do my works. Unquote. John 15 and 3. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. NENT. Romans 12 and 2. And be not fashioned according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, that ye may prove what is the good and well-pleasing and perfect will of God. Second Timothy 1 and 7, For God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but of power and love and sobering, or sound mind, right? Quote, there is real life through the release of the carnal and worldly ways of men. Unquote. NENT 2 Corinthians 6 and 14. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness and iniquity, or what communion hath light with darkness? And Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this yoke that is easy and light is a meek and lowly heart, right? Quote, I know you. And you know and will do as I say. And I can see that where we are here in eternity. Unquote. Yes, he can see it all. NENT, Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. Even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with the Christ. By grace have you been saved. And raised us up with him and made us to sit with him in heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Okay, now I want to share something with you about your balance in faith and your relationship to others in this regard. Uh, Mark 16 and 17 says, And these signs shall accompany them that believe. And verse 18 says, And they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Okay. Should we always eat what we want, drink what we want, and breathe what we want, because we're not under the curse, according to Galatians 3 and 13? Possibly the key words here are what we want not what we need. God said He would supply our every need. Some think that because we are not under the curse that we shouldn't tell people that certain things are poison. (laughs) Where is the balance here, right? Well, no one should tempt God by taking poison on purpose when there is a choice. Uh, that's like the snake handlers who often die tempting God to prove who they are. Permit me to paraphrase the devil when he tempted Jesus. Throw yourself off this temple, Jesus, because God said the angels would catch you. Unquote. And his answer was, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Quote unquote. Like the angel's promise of safety, God also said that you're not under the curse. Does that mean you should put poison in your mouth on purpose when you have a choice not to? That would be tempting God in the exact same way. Well, notice that the devil tempted Jesus to use his promise of protection and his deliverance from the curse to jump off the temple. (laughs) (laughs) so he he tempts you to use your promise of protection to eat known poison for no purpose or eat after your own lusts which kills a lot of people especially in america uh there is no difference unless uh that's all you have to eat like the man he said to elisha there's death in the pot because in their foraging for food, poisonous gourds had been thrown in the pot. Since that is what they had to eat, he blessed it and they ate it. Okay. So I, of course, used to live in Pensacola, which they talk about all the chemicals that were pumped down in the ground around there and it was all real dangerous and so on. So I drunk Pensacola water because that's what I had to drink. And it didn't bother me because I believed I wasn't under the curse. And I drove my motorcycle through chemtrails when I could smell them. And I ate whatever food was put before me because I needed to and was blessed. And I I knew another wise, strong Christian who believed that all of his heart, with all of his heart, that he could eat anything he wanted because he was not under the curse. I agreed with the principle, but not the way he was using it to justify his eating habits. He was using the doctrine to eat in an unhealthy manner and was overweight and (laughs) under-exercised. And to make a long story short, he died with his arteries clogged and uh, dying because of a lack of circulation. The Lord said, We ask and don't receive because we want to consume it upon our lusts. The demons jumped on the seven sons of Siva who thought they had protection, but their own lives were not right with God, and so they were under the curse. The promise that if you drink any deadly thing, it will not harm you is for those who have to drink the water and eat the food available to them like when Moses blessed the bitter waters in the barren wilderness. And when we are given poison to secretly uh, kill us, as the powers that be are doing now, <laughs> we are protected. And when we know about it and have a choice between poison and or pure, we should choose the pure. And of course, if you have something to prove, like the devil... Was tempting Jesus with saying, "If you are the Son of God," and then he went on to test him uh, to prove uh, who he was. But Jesus had no such lust, and he proved it. There was another way down from that temple roof, right? Some today would say to someone like him, "You don't have any faith. Jump!" <laughs> no. Who's the teacher here, right? The man who said there was death in the pot was not wrong. Now, they had a choice to make. Believe God if you need to eat or opt out if you don't believe. Now, many Christians don't believe God will protect them from poison. Should we just let them die because they do not believe God's promise? Is it all right to say to them, there's death in the pot. They would die and never have a chance to grow up and learn that they are not under the curse. And, of course, God could give them a demonstration, like he did, of his power over the curse. Amen. Some people of faith can stand up and say, yes, it's okay, you know, somebody did, the prophet, right? So, the Lord said in Hosea 4 and 6 that His people would die for lack of understanding. Let's have mercy on them and tell them that fluoride, chemtrails, chemotherapy, many drugs that they take, etc., are poison. But, should they be forced to take them or deceived into taking them, they should believe that they're not under the curse. Now, we know serpents are also demons. But Paul didn't take up that serpent on purpose. It bit him. But when it happened, he shook it off by faith and was none the worse, right? So I knew a couple who believed that they were not under the curse, but they were under a law of their own making instead of grace through faith. They were under pride. Jezebel and a false Jesus God didn't care what their doctrine was. He refused to answer and protect them. In short, walk in holiness and under the protection of God, but don't try to prove who you are in pride, and don't put yourself under a law, and don't be competitive with others, for God will humble you. We're not looking to make or find the line in this balance for others. You know, first of all, we need to take care of ourselves, right? Get it right in yourself, and you can give something right to others, right? Uh, but we are trying to share biblical principles to help them find balance. Let everyone find their own line in their conscience and according to the measure of their faith. We don't want to be caught making laws for others here. Amen? So, we have to be merciful with others. We don't know where they are in the Lord. We don't know where their faith is in the Lord. We can't put them under a law that will hurt them. Many people are impressed to uh, act like the people around them. And acting will not get it. I mean, it's got to be in you and a part of you. And when the word of the Lord uh, comes to your mind and your conscience is pricked and you act on the word of the Lord by faith, you're going to see results, right? So yes, we can have power. We can have mighty power. We can even demonstrate it like the prophet did to others, you know, uh blessing the pot um, and helping them and, but uh, also, we don't want to put other people under a law because uh, the law separates from Christ. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So when you make rules and regulations for yourself and you in yourself are doing your best to keep them in order to keep up appearances, well, then you're going to get in trouble. And a lot of people do get in trouble because of that. Just peer pressure. You know, they want to keep up with everybody else. Peer pressure. It's a very dangerous thing. So um, we have to be careful when we deal with other people, right? And uh, we have to give them grace. We have to not push them in any particular direction by condemning them. There's a lot of uh, preachers out there that condemn people to do what they want them to do. But then they're put under a law and there's no grace there and they get in trouble. And the preacher, of course, is guilty because he doesn't know the method of causing people to be able to walk in the ways of the Lord, which is grace through faith. And so he puts people in trouble because he's putting them under the law by condemning them for not doing what he's able to do. Well, if they're not able to do it, they're going to get in trouble, right? Well, Father, we thank you so much that you are so merciful with all of us. You let us all grow at our own pace uh, according to the amount of word that we put in our lives that we're able to humble ourselves to by your grace. Um, And uh, so we all grow up. We don't all grow at the same rate or into the same things because obviously we're all created for a different purpose. So each man has his own gift from God, right? Some people have gifts we don't have and we have gifts that they don't have and it all works out. You know, because we're all one in Christ, and the body is able to help itself. The hand helps the rest of the body, and the foot helps the rest of the body, and the eye helps the rest of the body, and they're all different, right? And so are we all different. So we can't condemn people because they're not like us. That's the way religions do things, and that's the way cults do things. You know, um, and of course, people get in trouble because of that, because you're stepping out where there's no grace through faith, right? Amen. So, Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for working in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. And Lord, we ask you to help us to learn these lessons of humility, because this is going to lift us up. Pride causes us to fall humility lifts us up thank you father for helping us to understand this because we want to be well pleasing unto you and through our weakness you are made strong thank you father for doing this in jesus name amen all right god bless you saints Ah, uh, now michael Hare is going to come and share a word And uh, we pray everyone is blessed with that. And he is blessed and anointed to share it in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. It sure is good to be back with y'all again today. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing. Father, I just praise you and I glorify you. And I thank you, Father, for your grace upon us today. And I praise you, Father, for your love that you have Put into our hearts those of us who are spiritual beings. And I praise you for it, Father. I ask and I pray, Lord, that this message today about your type of love go forth and be a blessing to everybody. And to change lives, Lord. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. That is my prayer today. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the spiritual man that God created. You know, man was created in the same class with God. He is an eternal spirit. His senses were given to him to contact the physical world. He was given reasoning faculties so that he might use the knowledge that his senses conveyed to his brain. And behind the sense-rule reasoning faculties is the real man, who is a spirit. You know, the church as a whole is unfamiliar with the recreated spirit. What we call our conscience is really the voice of the spirit. If one could learn to listen to his recreated spirit and keep an intimate fellowship with the father, there's no limit to where he could go in spiritual things. The Holy Spirit was given to guide us into all truth or reality. He finds it a very difficult thing to lead our reasoning faculties, but it is the normal and natural thing for him to lead our spirits. We have never realized that love is a product of the spirit and not of the reasoning faculties. Faith is also a product of the spirit. We are talking of the recreated spirit which has received the nature and life of the Father. It has become united with Christ and received eternal life. Eternal life is the nature of the Father, and that nature is love. Love is the mother of faith. You can have no deep faith life without a love life. The recreated spirit is also the fountain of wisdom and all of the other fruits of the spirit that are mentioned in Galatians 5.22. That says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now you understand that man is in the God's class of being. When he was created in the garden, he was made in the image and likeness of God. He had to be a spirit being because God is a spirit. He was created so that by partaking of God's nature, he might become a child of God. If he were just a physical being, he couldn't receive God's nature. If he were but a mental being, he couldn't receive God's nature. He had to be a spirit being, an eternal being who would live as long as God lives. Man had to be in God's class. He had to be created so that he could be the companion and associate of God. God gave him authority over all the laws of nature. Every living thing was subject to him. This same authority was obviously given to Jesus also. During his earth walk, he ruled the laws of nature. He changed water into wine. He restored the crippled and dead limbs of people. He calmed the seas and he raised the dead. This first man, Adam, was a spirit in God's class. When he committed high treason, he became a partaker of Satan's nature. He was actually born again and he became a new satanic creation. Because man is a spirit being, it was his spirit that took part of Satan's nature. Before the fall in the garden, during his fellowship with God, his spirit ruled him and his senses were subject to his spirit. But you know, when he sinned and his spirit received the nature of the adversary, it became subordinated to his senses. And I believe that before Adam fell, his five senses played only a small part And the instant he fell, his spirit lost dominion and his five senses took over. He now relied upon his senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and feeling. He was driven from the presence of God. He was in an enemy world. He had to see clearly unless he lost his life. He had to hear keenly or an animal would take advantage of him. His taste has to tell him what was good to eat. His touch had to tell him whether an object was hot, cold, sharp, or rough. And Adam gained an education through his five senses. His spirit was being made the prisoner of his five senses. The psalmist cried, bring my soul out of prison. Psalm two seven. Well, that Hebrew word should have been translated spirit instead of soul. It was the cry of the spirit for liberty. And it has been the cry for freedom down through the ages. Man's spirit lost contact with God. His body became mortal, subject to death. And this was the condition in which Jesus found the human race. When he broke into the sense realm to introduce the Father to sense knowledge man. Now here are some spirit facts. Man is a spirit. He has a soul. The soul is composed of his reasoning faculties. He lives in a physical body. The physical body possesses the five senses. They are the educators and teachers of the brain. And let it be clearly understood that the brain cannot function without the senses. If a child were born without sight, hearing, or feeling, he would be called an imbecile. He may have just as good an intellect as the other children, but the senses have no way to contact it. The brain is dependent upon the five senses. And the spiritually dead man's spirit is in harmony with Satan. His spirit does not object if he commits murder. You remember how Paul told Agrippa, he said, I lived in all good conscience. And that was during the time he was consenting to the death of the believers. His conscience permitted him to do it. That conscience was the voice of a spiritually dead man, a Satan ruled spirit. Now, here are some names that the spirit is called in the epistles. The old man, Colossians 3 and 9 said, put off the old man with its doings. Now, here's some the new man, Ephesians 4, 24, and put on the new man. That after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. He's also called in first Peter chapter three and verse four, the hidden man of the heart. The spirit is the real man. The body is not the real man. It's merely the home in which the spirit lives. The mind is not the real man because the mind can be destroyed by destroying the, uh, the senses. The real man is the hidden man of the heart or the hidden spirit. And here's the proof of it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new, but all things are of God. He's called a new creation. And that's in perfect harmony with Ezekiel 36 and 26, where the prophecy of a new creation is given. He said, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. The words heart and spirit are used interchangeably all through the Old and New Testament. God says that he's going to give man a new spirit. He's going to make a new man out of him. He's going to give him a new heart or a new spirit, which will make him a new creation. Man is going to be recreated. The sin nature is to be taken out of him, and he will no longer be called the old man. He's going to be called the new man in Christ. As the sinner, he is the old man who cannot approach God except through Christ. He doesn't know him as father. Now God has performed a miracle. He has recreated him. The old man has stopped being, and a new man has taken his place, glory to God. A new creation comes into being. This hidden man of the heart is now a new man, a new self. That old self was born of spiritual death, the nature of the adversary. The new self is born of love, the nature of the Father God. He is a new creation and he is created in Christ Jesus. And he's going to have a new kind of walk. The old self was in fellowship with the adversary, and the new creation is in fellowship with the Father. Now, here's a few valuable facts. The old creation had no standing with God. They could not approach Him. From the fall of man until Christ came, no human being could approach God except under the atoning blood of bulls and goats. The new creation who came into being on the day of Pentecost could stand in the Father's presence as though sin had never been, glory to God. Romans 8 and 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Get that in your spirit. Romans 8 and 33 says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies This new creation man has become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now you can now see that Christianity is God dealing with the spirit of man. He imparts to man his nature, making man a new creation. He is as much a new creation as was Adam in the garden. Glory to God. God makes his contact with man through his spirit, not his senses. And the development of the human spirit is imperative. We've wondered how this unseen, unknown personality could be developed. And we know now he is a partaker of the divine nature. And the first manifestation of that divine nature is the new kind of love. The development then of this new creation is going to be by the nature of the father, taking him over. In other words, he begins to walk in love. He lived the love life, practiced the word, and fellowships with the Father. Jesus' earth walk was a perfect example of this new love life. The Father can unveil the word to a man's spirit so that it becomes a living thing in his daily walk. Love becomes his natural realm. He lives love. He thinks love. He is love because he is a child of love. God is love. Man is a spirit being. He possesses a physical body in which he dwells. He has a soul composed of his reasoning faculties, and his body enables him to contact physical things. His reasoning faculties contact mental things. His spirit contacts spiritual things. Before he receives eternal life, his spirit is dominated by spiritual death. And that makes it impossible for him to understand the Bible, which is revelation truth. First Corinthians two and fourteen says, Now the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And he cannot know them because they are spiritually understood. The part of man that is recreated is his spirit. Now, this is a remarkable prophecy in, in Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19. And I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Well, here's a unique question. He's speaking of the new creation. He will recreate their spirit or heart, as the term is synonymously used. He says, I will give them one heart. That suggests that a new kind of love is coming, which will make them one as a body of people. Jesus said in John 17, 22, that they may be one even as we are one. And we read in John chapter 13 verse 35 by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another and then we read in ezekiel 20 or, i'm sorry 36 26 chapter 36 verse 26 a new heart also will i give you and a new spirit will i put within you and i will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and i will give you a heart of flesh Now, here's the prophecy of an absolutely new creation. He's going to take that stony heart of selfishness out of them and give them his own heart of love. And then the next verse, he says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. There's not only going to be a new creation, but his indwelling is promised. And we can hear Jesus saying in John 14 and 17, for he abides with you and shall be in you. First Peter three and four, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Now here we're given a title for the recreated human spirit. He's called the hidden man of the heart. He is the new creation man. He is the man. The physical body is not the man. It is the temporary dwelling place for the man. The reasoning faculties are not the man. They are his servants. The body is the home of the five senses of the five servants of the man. All of the knowledge that the reasoning faculties ever get comes through the five senses or the five servants of the brain. That brain would lie dormant inactive if the five senses didn't function. And the only way that man can obtain knowledge or an education is through these five servants or members of the physical body. Romans 7.22 For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What we have here, this hidden man is called the inward man. And in either case, the hidden man is the man. The personality of the inner man is sometimes affected by the outer man. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. And then Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inward man, his ability in the inward man. The outward or the visible man is the one that you see on the street. The inward man is the one who gives this outer man either his attractiveness or his repulsiveness. He's either a good-looking guy or he's a bad-looking guy because of his inward man. Now that's a very remarkable fact that God deals with the inward man instead of the outer man. Spiritual things are unveiled To this hidden man of the heart. The Holy Spirit makes his home in the hidden man. Sin consciousness comes from this inward man. And it's deeply important that you understand this fact. It is the recreated spirit that convicts of sin in the believer. And our conscience is his voice speaking to our reason. Now we stated before that the hidden man is the part of us. That is recreated. He receives eternal life and becomes a new creation. Now, one of our recent modern Bible translators gives Second Corinthians 5 and 17 like this. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, there is a new self brought into me. But all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The reconciliation it speaks of in the next verse is between this hidden man of the heart And the Father God, he never speaks of a reconciliation between the mind or the reasoning faculties. And God is always a reconciliation of the heart. Let's think of man as being in God's class. He's a spirit. He's an eternal spirit that's capable of receiving the nature of God. He's capable of loving God. He's capable of becoming A son of God. You understand he was created in the image and likeness of God. That is spiritual likeness. He lost that image in the fall, but it was restored in the new creation. There is a very remarkable term used in the epistle many times. For instance, in the first chapter of Ephesians, it occurs in one form or another 11 or 12 times. Now, here's an illustration of that. Ephesians 1 and 7. In whom we have our redemption. Now, I want you to notice the first two words. In whom, in Christ, in Him. And for a long time, that bothered me. I wondered, well, what does it mean? And I came upon something in John chapter 15 and verse 5 that helped me. He said, I am the vine and ye are the branches The branch is a part of the vine. The vine is a part of the branch. The two are one. What goes through the vine goes through the branch also. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, we are in the beloved. It states in Ephesians 2 and 6, we are seated together. We are seated with this beloved one at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, And raised us up with him, and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2.10, it tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You see, this occurred before the resurrection of Jesus. When Christ was recreated, the Father said, This day have I begotten thee. In the mind of justice, the entire body of Christ was recreated. And this becomes a reality in us the moment we accept Christ as our Savior and confess Him as our Lord. We then receive eternal life, the nature of the Father. And this makes us the new creations. Now, let's go back to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 and 18. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. But all things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Romans six verses four through eight. We were buried therefore with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. Now I want you to take a notice of verse five, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that so we should no longer be in bondage to sin. Now note the tenth was and not is. For he that hath died is justified from sin, but if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now we could possibly say it this way. Well then, If that baptism made us share his death, it must have made us share his burial too. And it must follow that as Messiah was raised from among the dead by means of the descent of his father's glory, so we too who arose with him are to be employed wholly in the activities of the new life. For if by having died like him we have entered into living union with him, most certainly, we shall not be less so in consequence of having risen with him. This we recognize, that our former self was nailed to his cross with him, so that that body, which was the instrument of sin, might be made impotent for evil, so that we could no longer be slaves of sin. Now, notice carefully that the part of us that was recreated, made new, was the hidden man of the heart. He is called the old man. This old man was crucified with Christ. It was neither our physical body nor our reasoning faculties, but our spirit. And that's the part of us that was spiritually dead. It had to be recreated. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man which is doings. And have put on the new who is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. And if you'll notice, it says that the old man was put off, crucified with Christ. When Christ arose from the dead, a new man arose with him. That new self is the human spirit. Now the physical body, which is the home of the five senses, must be brought into conformity with Christ, who is the head of the body. This brings us to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Be not fashioned according to this age, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This body is the home or dwelling place of the spirit. This recreated human spirit wishes to communicate its newfound joy to those about it. Hidden away as it is in the human body, it has no way of communication but through the five senses. Therefore, the first thing that must be done after one is recreated is to bring these five senses into subjection to the recreated human spirit and the word of God. When this is done, the mind will be renewed. Although you are born again, you still possess the same mind and body that had been under the dominion of the adversary. And this is the reason that it is so important To renew the mind and bring it into harmony with the recreated spirit. You have to bring it into subjection to this new self. That has come into being. And the trouble with the majority of believers. Is that their minds have never been renewed. The mind will never be renewed until they begin to practice love. They must live this love life that Jesus introduced to the world. If any man be in Christ, there is a new creation. This new creation is born of God, and God is love. So the new creation is a love creation. In our redemption, love with the limit. The cross and the three days of suffering was love's limit. And Now we are born of that love, so we have become love creations. We are partakers of. Of love's nature. We have the attributes of love. God reproduces himself in the new creation. He makes a superman of love that seeks not his own. This new creation is not provoked by persecution or by slander or by anything that the people ruled by selfishness can do. You see, the new birth made a new self a new spirit, a new man, and it gives to man a new kind of selfishness. It is the selfishness manifested in Paul and the other members of that early organization called the church. It plans to give more than it gives, and it is perfectly selfish in this struggle to give more than any, than another could give. It denies itself to give more. It is really Christ. Let loose in us. And you could hear the cry, Master, you died for me. I live now for those for whom you died. You became a slave of love for me and I will become a love slave for them. Glory to God. And we read in second Corinthians chapter five, verses 13 through 15. For whether we are beside ourselves, it is unto God. Whether we are sober of mind, uh, of sober minds, it is unto you. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that, that they that live should no longer live unto themselves. This is selfishness, as I love to call it, it is the kind of love that sought the cross for me. You remember that dear old Saint Polycarp? He was a convert of John the Beloved. When he was 82, he started on that long trip to Rome to confess before the Roman authorities that he was a love slave of Jesus Christ. They pled with him in every town through which he went on his way that a stake and a bundle of sticks awaited him. His heart was set on giving his testimony in Rome. And when he arrived, he was arrested. They tried him, but he refused to recant. They tied him to the stake and heaped a bundle of sticks around him. And the authorities pled with him to blaspheme the name. Tenderly, he looked at them and said, I have served this master nearly 80 years. I love him. He is my Lord. And then, With a firm voice, he said, light your fire. And in the midst of the flame, he cried, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You could hear him say, he loved me. He gave himself up for me. And if he gave himself for me, it is no more than right that I should give myself for others. It was love that led Polycarp. And it's love that leaves the way of unselfishness. Now let's look at a basic fact. There are two great forces in the world. This new kind of love, agape, that Jesus brought, which springs out of the heart of the Father. And then there is selfishness, which is the nature of Satan. Satan is spiritually dead. Spiritual death has given birth to selfishness. Selfishness has dominated the human race man is spiritually dead until he receives the nature of God then the combat in the world is between eternal life and spiritual death or between agape and selfishness the outstanding characteristic of natural man is selfishness it has given to us every one of the major sins That are destroying the human race. Selfishness is the parent of all sin. The natural man cannot love his children as much as he loves himself. He cannot love his wife as much as he loves himself. The natural human heart is a partaker of the satanic nature. Selfishness. And when that selfishness gains the ascendancy, it makes the man a tyrant in his home, filling it with the spirit of tyranny. Now, I read of a couple here just a little while ago who had lived a very unhappy uh, life and had thought much about separating. But they had little children. The father had a godly background and so had the mother. But neither of them had ever received eternal life. After the children came along, the wife began to feel the irritations of bondage and said this. She said, These children just robbed me of my liberty. And then the husband began to feel the same limitation. Selfishness began to grow. The home was not a home. It was just a place where they quarreled, made up, found fault, cursed the children. Then a Then one day, a a book, a pamphlet, The New Kind of Love by E.W. Kenyon, fell into the hands of the husband. He brought it home and started to read it, and he became so engrossed in it that his wife wanted to know what he was reading. You see, selfishness is always jealous. The keener and richer your selfishness is, the more sensitive you become. She became very curious as to what that little book was. Finally, she said, what is that you're reading? He said, it is the most wonderful book I have ever read. He laid it down on the table and she began to read it. She had read half of it before she made her decision. She had seen things. When the husband came into the house, she said, how far did you read in that book? He said, nearly all of it. One of the men at the office gave it to me. He responded, what do you think of it? She said, I only wish we had gotten hold of it when we were first married and life would have been different, she said. He picked up one of his children and held it in his arms. Wife, he said, would you like to go with me on this thing? I would like to have eternal life. I am sick of my selfishness. And she looked into his face and reached out her hand and said, My dear, I will go the whole way with you. The two older children were not home when it happened, and the father and mother didn't tell them about it. Three or four days later, the oldest girl said, Mother, what has happened to you and dad? You haven't quarreled since last week. And then the mother told the story to her. And the girl in her mother's arms whispered, Mother, I want it to. And so love came to live in that house. And after a bit, every member of the household sought to give the other more than he received. Love's rivalry began to develop. The husband and wife sought to outdo each other in love. You see, when two new creation people, love-filled, begin to practice agape, the very atmosphere of heaven is in that home. Love's slogan is, I am not seeking my own, but your happiness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have classes that would take up the study of agape love? Since knowledge has built cities but it always destroys them. And few of us have recognized that there are two kinds of ambitions. One was born out of the desire to conquer and to reign and to have and to hold, no matter what effect it had upon those who stood in the way. And the other is the ambition to give and to build and to make happy, to educate and to train and to make beautiful, glad homes. One is the Jesus kind, and the other is inspired by Satan. You know, one of the sweetest things that Paul ever said was, he counted me worthy to represent love, even to represent God, to represent a new kind of love. Saul, the hater, became Paul, the lover. I wish that there could be little societies of men and women who would come together to study how to develop this new kind of love so that they would have the new kind of selfishness. And wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of you would become evangelists with this new kind of love, this new kind of selfishness. We have seen the sons of selfishness become the sons of love. We have seen the old selfishness meet this new kind of selfishness and be defeated. And the great combat today Is between selfishness and love. Listen to me. Satan is the symbol of selfishness. Jesus is the symbol of love. I'm going to say it again. Satan is the symbol of selfishness. Jesus is the symbol of love. Those are the two great spiritual forces in the world. Now, here are some things that love has never done. This is what love never has done. It has never enslaved the weaker. It never takes advantage of the ignorant. It has never reigned as a dictator or tyrant. It never steals or takes advantage. It never seeks a divorce. It is never in court as a criminal. It never seeks its own. It never behaves unseemly in the family life. It never gets drunk. It never sets a bad example before the children. It does not swear, blaspheme, or use vile language. It does not remember evil that has been committed against it. And it doesn't talk about the weakness and failures of others. It does not rejoice in evil things and it is never happy when its enemy has been defeated. That's the, and here's the negative side of love. You ask, what does love do? It seeks not its own. It destroys selfishness. It bears the burden of others. When it discovers that someone has done an unseemly thing, it covers it up. It shields it. Never talks about it. Now can, now, can you see the vast contrast between selfishness and love? The Jesus kind of love is the positive enemy. Of selfishness the two can't work together you see self-preservation is the first law of the natural man it seeks to save itself while love is the very opposite it seeks to save others all the crimes that were committed in war international crimes were born of selfishness and the only solution is the Jesus kind of love the love that he brought to the world. Selfishness has given birth to every ideology that's deadly. The love of what money gives is the root of all kinds of evil. When a selfish man gains the ascendancy in a community, he becomes a menace to society. The church is the only enemy of selfishness. When I say church, I mean the new creation folk, the true people of the gospel, the people who walk in love, not the ter- church that you see today spiritual death the nature of satan has given selfishness to us the nature and life of the son of god has given to us love and the conflict today is between love and selfishness love awaits a leader to build a new type of christianity folks we have one tremendous responsibility facing us and that's prayer the only solution of the impending problem is to bring god on the scene, we need a national revival, not a revival of religion, but a revival of eternal life. Only eternal life will give us the new love law that should rule us. For years, we were mystified as to the source of thoughts. We knew that they were not the children of reason, they flashed upon us, they came leaping at us from nowhere. Beautiful melodies would float into our consciousness. Poetry would come. Beautiful lyrics to which reason didn't give birth. Solutions of problems that had bothered us for days came to us unexpected, unknown. Inventions and creative things flashed into our minds independent of sense knowledge sources. Designs of beautiful structures, fabrics, and pictures that staggered reason came floating into the mind as clouds on a June day pass over our heads. From where did they come? And then we discover Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. This spirit is to guide the reasoning faculty. And so few enjoy the Lord's lamp or take advantage of it. We learned that man is a spirit. He is in the same class with God and he can live independently of the body. He is eternal. And we know that there are two kinds of education, spirit education and mind education. And we know that the church and our educational system has never seriously attempted to understand the real man. In the, in the babe, We see purely the physical. And then as the child's minds begin to reach out and become inquisitive, the child becomes simply mind and body to us. We're careful to feed its body, to build it up, to train the mind and make it efficient. But who has ever taught or trained the spirit? We heard much in psychological discussions about the subconscious minds. And that's when we got thrilled about it. And then we discovered that it was nothing but our own spirit. We found that consciousness is the voice of the spirit. Reason is the voice of our mind and feelings are the voice of our body. There are two kinds of consciousness. One of the Christian, the child of God, and the other, the conscience of natural man. And we understand that there are three kinds of spirit development. Natural man can develop his spirit until it becomes a force in him. And you see that in Christian science. You see it in unity. You see it in spiritualism and other psychological religions. And that's the natural, unregenerate human spirit being cultivated. The human spirit is naturally very religious because it's God hungry. It is the mother of all human religion. And Christianity is God's answer to the hunger of the human spirit. Every human religion attempts to answer this hunger and fails. The part of man that is born again is the spirit. It receives the nature and life of God. And it's our spirit that can contact God or contact Satan. Reason cannot find God. Sense knowledge has been unable to discover God or the human spirit. It can see evidences of a creator, but it can't find him. It can see evidences of man's spirit, but it can't understand it or find it in the body. Natural man's spirit is dominated largely by evil. Men have used it to gain the mastery over others for their own ends. And then there are demonized spirits. Men who are controlled by evil spirits and sometimes they perform exceptional abilities, miracles. It seems the scriptures speak of these type. They're called necromancers, spiritualists and mediums. They are all demon ruled spirits. And a lot of times their minds have no part in what they say. Demons speak through their lips independent of sense knowledge. These men can become deeply spiritual and become deep in the things of Satan. And the third kind of spirituality is that of a new creation spirit. Glory to God. For man becomes a new creation by receiving the life and the nature of God himself. The Holy Spirit makes his home in the physical body and dominates the human spirit that has been recreated. And that as this is cultured and developed through the word, there ain't no limit to its possibilities. The effect of the spirit upon the body is little understood. You know, it would pay the medical industry to study this phase of healing. Proverbs 15 and 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breaking of the spirit. tells us that words affect the human spirit. Your mind may cast aside the unkind words that are spoken, but your spirit absorbs them. Proverbs 15 and 13, A glad heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. The word heart is used interchangeably with the word spirit. Job 19, verses 1 and 2, Then Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? You know, words are more dangerous than bricks or stones. They're more potent than pen or brush. Bones they break not, but hearts they crush. Proverbs 17:22. A cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up bones. And then Proverbs 18 and 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a broken spirit who can bear it. In these scriptures we see the secret of healing for the body. We're praying for the sick daily. And every man who is sick physically is sick in spirit. For the moment his spirit is healed, his body becomes well. Our first ministry is to bring them in contact with the healing word. Psalm 107 and 20 says, he sent his word and healed them. And that centurion said to Jesus in Matthew 8 and 8, but speak the word and my servant is healed. The centurion I actually recognize that Jesus healed folks with his words. You can't heal bodies with words, but you can heal man's spirit with words. You heal the spirit, then the spirit heals the body. It's the logos on our lips that heals the spirit of sick men and women. The word of God is the healer. When we know how to rightly divide the word, we'll be able to administer the right kind of spiritual medicine the right portion of scripture to the sick one to bring healing. The secret of the divine life is to learn how to live in the spirit realm, how to have one's lamp filled with the oil of heaven, and to keep one's spirit fit so that no disease can break in upon it. And this brings before our minds the distinction between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge comes from reflection. Observation, contact with people, books, and teachers. Wisdom comes from one of two sources: God or Satan. James 3:13 through 18 says this: Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good life his works in meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter jealousy and faction in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom is not a wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where jealousy and faction are, there is confusion in every vile deed. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without variance, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. For them that make peace. Now that's two kinds of wisdom in contrast. We have two kinds of knowledge in contrast. We have the knowledge that comes from the senses. And we have this knowledge in our universities. That's colleges and all the technical schools. That's the knowledge we use every day in our factories. Knowledge that seems to be independent of God. And often seeks to be independent of God. And the other kind of knowledge is revelation knowledge. Man needs revelation knowledge to complete his education. Since knowledge can't find God, know the reason for man, the reason for creation, the source of life, or the source of motion. When it faces problems of this kind, it turns speculative and forms theories. Darwin's theory of evolution is a masterpiece of guessing. He went as far as sense knowledge could go, and then he boarded on an airplane, airplane of fancy, left the realm of facts and wrote a book of speculations and theory. It has damned millions, but helped no one. God imparts his message to your spirit. That thing called a hunch, that still small voice, is your spirit, and is sometimes called for conscience. And the only way to know God and the Lord Jesus Christ is through the Spirit. Well, you know, I used to be confused when people would say, if I could see someone healed, I'd be I'd believe. I've seen that, yeah. Sense knowledge cannot understand miracles. Only the Spirit can reveal that when people come to see men and women healed and miracles performed, it gives them sense knowledge, faith in healing. Many of them take their healing because of what they see and hear. But if that trouble comes back on them, as the adversary would doubtlessly make it, they would have no foundation. They would have no root. They have no deep, rich knowledge of the word. They are like the seed that was sown in shallow soil. When the heat came, it died, for it had no deep root system. Before a person can be permanently helped, his spirit must be educated in the word of God. Creative faith, dominating faith, healing faith, and saving faith are all in the Spirit. Faith is not a product of reason. Sense knowledge has never produced the kind of faith which we're speaking of. It can produce sense knowledge, faith that believes in what it sees, hears, and feels. But love is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this does not refer to the Holy Spirit, but to the recreated human spirit. Galatians 5 and 16 is a wonderful exposition of the human spirit. But I say, walk by the spirit you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh or the senses. For the flesh or the senses lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary the one to the other, that you may not do the things that you would. In the 19th and 20th verses, He tells us about the works of the senses or the manifestation of the senses. The 22nd verse gives the fruits of the renewed human spirit. And they are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And they that are of Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh or the senses with the passion and the lust thereof. When the human spirit gains the mastery over the senses, It brings them into captivity. Then a man says, I can't do that. My conscience, which is the voice of his recreated spirit, will not permit it. His spirit has gained the mastery over his mind. The mind in turn gains the mastery over the body and brings the body into subjection to the mind. Praise God forevermore. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God bless you.
0: I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart, in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh Jesus, I trust in you.